It's happy hour from Central City, New Orleans. We're at Casa Borrega on Aretha Council Haley Boulevard at Felicity, where you can come and have a drink because it's a bar. You can come and hear live music because it's a music venue and you can have something awesome to eat because it's also a restaurant. Tell you more about Casa Borrega as we go. In the meantime, you can follow them on Twitter and check them out on Facebook while you're listening to us. In the next 60 minutes, you're going to meet an indeterminate number of people who live in New Orleans, probably two, maybe three, or even four. You're probably going to hear some live music as well if we can figure that out. At the end of the show, you might conclude New Orleans is a great city where people love to talk, have fun, and enjoy great music, but you probably know that already, so let's get right on with doing nothing but enjoying the next 60 minutes of Happy Hour together. My two guests sitting around the table, why can two people sit around anything? Technically, I guess not sitting somewhere at a table. Here at Casa Borrega today are, in no particular order, Dr. Mignon Mary, who's a medical doctor and founder of The Remedy Room. Hi, Mignon. Hi. Come on, and you have to, you have to, we've bought these really cheapo mics, so you have to really talk (laughs) right into them. The Remedy Room is a new medical clinic on St. Charles Avenue, and I'm going to tell you exactly where it is because you're going to want to know this. It's on the Uptown Riverside of Lee Circle. And the reason I'm telling you so specifically is because the Remedy Room specializes in the medical treatment of an affliction that affects a large number of New Orleanians, the hangover. Yes. Can you believe this, Jim? Are you listening? Pay attention. I am. I am. The medical mission of the Remedy Room is to, and I quote, rehydrate and restore wellness with IV fluids, vitamins, and minerals in a convenient and comfortable setting. You get to feel like yourself again quickly and easily under medical supervision. That's right. Now, Mignon, are you Catholic? I am. You are. You could easily become a saint. (laughs) We'll try to save as many people as we can. Has the Vatican got in touch with you? (laughs) No one's called yet. Because you've got to be on the path to sainthood if you're going to cure the hangover, right? Don't you think? (laughs) We're going to do our best to try to help people out. Well, you've even got a voice that you sound like you've been drinking all day, have you? Not at all. God, what a great voice. Doesn't this, Jim? She sounds terrific. Really? <laughs> is this your natural speaking voice or do you be smoke a lot of cigarettes? God so. given. This is the one I got. Wow, this is going to be a great hour. Sitting across from me is yet another doctor. I have a whole doctor show today. This is kind of like a real talk show like WWL or something. We're serious here. Dr. Jim Fitzmorris has a PhD. not a medical doctor, right? No, no, not at all. From the University of Washington School of Drama, an education which he has put to good use in various guises, notably as the artistic director of the New Orleans Shakespeare Festival, and as a playwright, the winner of four Big Easy Awards, Jim's plays deal mostly with New Orleans themes, including, well, these titles say it all. Right? This is like the history of New Orleans. Listen to this. The House of Plunder, with Malice Towards All, Urban Education Smackdown. Now that's got to be good. And his collaboration with Carl Walker, The Last Madam. Jim's latest play is called A Truckload of Ink, which tackles the changing landscape of a newspaper and a city. We've written a play about a newspaper that's going from seven days a week to four. I know, where do I get my ideas? I'm not sure. <laughs> where, <is laughs> where do I get my ideas? And we're talking about hangovers and closing newspapers. <laughs> this is definitely a New Orleans show, absolutely. <laughs> and, and we're hoping that Dave Shaw from The Revivalist is going to show up at some point, in which case I'll do a very fancy, you know, flowery introduction of him. But hopefully we'll be here. Andrew Duhon, who normally sits across here and plays the guitar and hangs out with us, is away on tour in Europe. He'll be back next week. So... If you're listening to the show and you know you're keeping track, why can, can you? Is this sun in your eyes as well? No, not me. Jesus not not me at all. Is, okay. I feel well. oh, it's just me. I'm going to have to wear a hat. <laughs> so where am I going to start, Dr. Mary? Shall I start with you? I'm ready. Okay. So you went to medical school. Where did you go to medical school? LSU. At downtown. LSU. And here in Baton New Rouge. Orleans. And, oh, here. New Orleans. LSU. Yeah. The medical school was strangely enough in New Orleans. It is. And then what happened to you after that? And then I practiced at our family's clinic. I come from a family of physicians. I have an older brother 
and uh, father with the same name, Charles Mary, who are internists. My dad is... Your name is not Charles Mary, by the way. My name's Mignon. Right. I get confused. So when you say by the same name, you mean both your brother and your brother. Their name, they're Charles Jr., Charles III. Right, okay. There's actually a fourth as well. There's Charles the Fourth. Yeah, we'll have to see what happens. It's like the royal family. Yeah. (laughs) And is he a doctor? Are they all doctors? He's not. He has a phenomenal business. You should have him come on. He has a company called Debbie Does Dobash. It's a cupcake. Debbie Does Dobash. Yes, delicious. It's Dobash cupcakes. They make Dobash cupcakes? Yes, sir. And they're delicious. That's like the most amazing thing I've ever heard in my life. And handmade. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But um, so anyway, I worked at the Mary Clinic. And um, at this clinic, we do phenomenal things. Um, My father has sort of been a pioneer in using high-dose vitamin C and using IV therapy in the clinic setting and then, of course, in the hospital setting for over 30 years. And um, our clinic has progressed to be very alternative. We have a lot of cancer patients. I'm not sure if everyone knows about how great vitamin C is, but there's not a lot of research done with vitamins. I thought it was good if you had a cold. I didn't realize it would also cure cancer. Well, they're finding now that there's phase one and two trials that are out showing that it's helping um, not only just as an, uh, as an antioxidant. Everybody knows vitamin C is an antioxidant, but as a higher doses that you can't get by mouth, that you take IV, it becomes a pro-oxidant, which means it's helping to kill those cancer cells but protect your own cells and boost your own immunity. Okay, so the antioxidant turns into a pro-oxidant. Yes, yeah, so it's helping. That's what, and because it's... It's oxidization, or is it the word that causes so, the cancer, the cells to be cancerous? So it's it? helping with all of, you know, what people just always think, oh, it's just a vit- it's an antioxidant. But at the higher doses, that you can get IV, which you cannot take by mouth. And on most of the other studies in the past, they, they didn't really go high enough. The doses were never high enough, so they kind of refuted and said, oh, it doesn't do anything. Well, that's not true. My dad is alive because he cured his colon cancer with vitamin C. He cured his vitamin own colon C. cancer. Yep. Wow. And we have a lot of patients who have cancer who come into the clinic. So... To bring the story back to the remedy room, we had a lot of patients who originally, when they came in, came for viral illnesses, of course, for hangover and dehydration and things like that. And I wanted to bring it back down to just the patient who wasn't so severely sick to people, be able to come in. People would go to the Mary to clinic. the Mary Clinic with a hang for the ha- with a hangover. Sure, I mean really? that's not something we advertised, but, but we had our own private patients who would be sick and come and say, "I need help," and then we would treat them. So they just knew because no, they they were already th- our private patients, sure. And, and they, they just happened to go out on a Friday night and sure. get plastered as hell, and then call sure. up Dr. Mary wow. on a Saturday and say, "Can you hook me up on the yeah, IV?" Yeah, and so mononucleosis. I mean, you think of it: sinus infection, okay, terrible chest cold. Do you know what mononucleosis is, Jim? Just that, the, that's the uh, kissing. Virus oh, that mono. kids get mono. Oh, that's well, called sorry. mono. Okay, mono. yeah. <laughs> no, that's okay. I didn't realize it was called mononucleosis. It yes. sounds a lot more impressive. Sorry. That's a kid. <laughs> you have to apologize for being a doctor. It's so, that, so you can cure that with? Well, you can help it tremendously. I mean, it depends on where you pick it up. You I know, thought that was incurable or something. No, it's a virus, but you can help the person to recover faster oh, because okay. you're helping boost their own immune system. The body always wants to heal. It's just we keep getting in the way. It's yeah. like a point of no return for mononucleosis, right? Though, I mean, the thing is, if you get to it soon enough, you can actually take care of it. The people that actually pass away from it are the ones who don't realize they, they have it until it's too right. late. They're probably dehydrated, and then they may have some other sequelae, like their organs may fail afterwards um, from whatever the other reasons may be, dehydration, etc. Okay, so in case anyone's listening to this and, they're, and they don't want to listen to any more, right. they've like had enough <laughs> and they're, they're, they've got to go and do something, we have to get to the point here. The hangovers uh, got, are yeah, the big the push. Everybody wants to hear about yeah. hangovers. So I want to know, how, because if, if you've cured hangovers, I'm serious, you're going to be a saint, right? Because who doesn't 
Well, who? So here, it's been going on in the medical community for ages, right? Most physicians. What drinking? No, not just drinking, but rehydrating, knowing that we could instantly rehydrate you with fluids. Okay, and we would give you what's called a banana bag if you came into the ER and you were drunk. A lot of times (laughs) in the past, we would give you what they call a banana bag because the B vitamins turn the bag of fluids yellow. And we're replenishing those vitamins to make sure that nothing else more dramatic or worse happens to you from neurologic deficit. This is if, but this is this would be if I went into the, into the ER, ER. And, okay. I, and I happen to be drunk. Right. So now okay. because of costs and things such, they don't give you the IV fluids. They tell you to hydrate by mouth. But of course, it's much quicker to do it IV. Okay. All right. So I mean, that's what a hangover is, right? I mean, it's a giant nutrient strip, it, right? It's a, I mean, dri- it's a drain, so you lose so much fluid. It's such a diuresis when you're drinking, and then you're losing a lot of the good electrolytes. And then there's also sort of a toxic buildup of all the breakdown product of the bad alcohol that I forgot the owner who was discussing. Hugo, Hugo was saying that if you drink expensive booze, you're not going to get it. Is that true? That's true. Well, the darker the liquor and the, and the heavier the alcohol, and it's not clear and, and distilled and all these new techniques. Yes, it's a develops a lot of byproduct and the toxins make you feel sick so if you drink shitty alcohol mm-hmm. you're going to feel worse than if you drink good alcohol is that true i think anybody would be able to testify everyone that's knows for that sure. for sure so I'm we're hydrating medically you. medically yeah. yes okay. i think that's the way to okay. go stick to the clearer drinks okay and of course hydrate in between your drinks so of course that's the worst part that's who does the hard that part, yeah. right um, who's going to have a s- water spacer so we're available to give you the hydration people do most yeah, sorry, people don't want to stop at the <laughs> er after they've had a hangover they're not sick enough to go to the er but they are sick enough to miss a day so what we're right. creating here is a place where you can come if you just don't have the time right okay you so let's go through this wedding. okay you're listening to this and you have to be in new orleans to do this right you yeah. can't do this on the internet sorry so you have to go, you go down to this, it's just by Lee Circle, just above Lee Circle. I mean, I've driven past it, I'm like, yes. this is so awesome because it's so handy. It's yeah. right on the streetcar, right? You yes. don't even have to, you can still be sort of drunk and don't have to drive, then get off the streetcar. Well, you can't be drunk because you have to be able to consent. It is a magic medical procedure. You have to be able to sign a form that says, sure. the, I agree I'm not drunk, you. I am sober enough to receive this treatment. Oh, I could sign that drunk with sober, <laughs> no problem. Okay, so you go in there and you, you and so you, what happens? And you say you just feel like shit. You wake up in the morning. You say, "I feel like crap. I shouldn't. I wish I'd never did that." What now? What is this? Like an electronic cigarette? Mm-hmm. Nice. <laughs> you like it? Yeah, I love it. What's in that? What's in that? That's it's the um, oil stuff. Well, the way the way it works. What I've been told about electronic cigarettes is that um, it's a battery, and then you attach a cartridge, and inside the cartridge is uh, liquid nicotine, mm-hmm. and that the battery then vaporizes the liquid nicotine and goes into your lungs. There's now concern. That's got to be worse for you than tobacco. Well, actually, it's not. No. Um, it's it's it really be. isn't. Doctor, tell me. They, no, they, I think it's okay. I'm agreeing with you? the e-cigarettes. Yeah. yeah. Wow. They, they've actually okay. discovered though that there are a couple of products. That are, they're steering people away from a couple of the foreign products because some of the companies overseas are slipping things into them to kind of increase the the intake. So there's you have to be really careful what you go for. But I haven't had a cigarette. I used to be a two pack a day smoker. No, they say that the dopamine, the happy hormone that you get yeah. from this e-cigarette, you can say dopamine on the air. Okay. surge, the surge that makes you feel good after you smoke a cigarette is is equal. So if you're trying to quit, it's a great idea, and I highly recommend Did it. Did you see the study okay. about doctor recommended about <laughs> the ADHD? Uh, they had a trial where they had a number of uh, kids in high schools who were smokers who had terrible ADHD and were taking medication for it, and they took them off. They had the parents sign the waiver, took them off the medication and off the tell them to quit smoking, but they gave them the patch. And their grades in the classroom, because they could wear the patch inside the classroom, actually increased. Are we talking about high school students? High school students. High school students who are hooked on smoking cigarettes? No, getting off the stimulants from the ADD meds and then putting them on nicotine. Nicotine. 
I didn't see it, but I'd love yeah, to look I mean at it's it. Just, it it's so it's I misunderstood that. So the kids who are hooked on this, are what, what is it called? Well, the, 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 the medicines that we use the for what's it called? The ADD meds are amphetamines, so they're very addictive. What's the name of the famous one? Ritalin. Ritalin. Concerta. Concerta is uh, not as hard because uh, it's, it's, it, a lot of them are time-released now, so they kind of drip into you. It's one of those things that if you actually have ADHD, it makes you feel normal. It's kind of like a painkiller if you have actual pain. Mm -hmm. The problem is, is that people, take a, people get diagnosed with ADHD at the drop of a hat, and they just pump them full of speed. Um, right. if, if you actually have the condition, you go to a kind of a normal levelized feeling. But for a lot of people, what we're giving them is a, we're giving them a future addiction. So the idea is you go right. back to dopamine. The idea is to release dopamine because that's what the ADHD, that's why they used to call it hyperactivity. The person wasn't hyperactive. They actually were sluggish, and they were attempting to kind of shake themselves out of that sluggishness. So as a Ph.D. doctor of drama, how do you know all this? Well, you take a lot of classes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I mean, <laughs> he deals with a lot of young adults, too, I'm I mean, sure. Yeah, is this from teaching that you've learned all this? I, from teaching and a lot, of, a, lot of a lot of reading up on it. I mean, a lot of that makes a big difference. Why are you reading up on it? Um, I probably have it. I mean, and the thing is, is that ADHD is also, a, it's not always a bad thing. I mean, it's also, we know that people who have it when they get focused and locked in on something and they figure out what gives them their charge in a healthy way, they really become very dedicated to that sort of thing too. That often happens. Well, you're sitting by yourself in a room writing most of the day, I assume, right? Yes, that's exactly and, it. That's one of the first places I found out I actually could make myself feel normal, which is sitting down and writing. Yeah. And what did you feel like before? Like, I really didn't care. I mean, the thing is, that in, in my show, Urban Education Smackdown, one of the things, I, I worked in a public school for about a year and a half, and I worked as an assistant dean of students, essentially, and also an interventionist and working with at-risk kids. And one of the things that you see when somebody actually has the condition as opposed to the overdiagnosis of ADHD is a thing that I call the drift, where the person just simply seems to leave. I guess the, the way to kind of distinguish the, the condition is a lot of people fidget. A lot of people drink too much caffeine and sit in dark rooms and play video games. Usually the people who have ADHD, who have ADHD, don't want to feel that way. That's the kind of separate thing. It's back to imagine wanting to focus, wanting to get a task done, desperately trying to get it done, and you still can't make yourself do it. There's a point where the person doesn't want to feel that way. It isn't like I don't want to do it. It's like I want to do this and I can't. Right. You just keep getting distracted. You yeah. keep, and it becomes about you want, but you would literally watch students while talking directly to them drift away from you they would literally move their eyes from you and never ever ever have a tv to your back when you're talking to somebody with adhd because you just watch them drift straight towards the image and then that you know the old joke is knock knock who's there adhd adhd Ooh, who? look a pretty girl <laughs> you know and that's how it works you know so it was pretty so when do you say you're an interventionist i see you through that w that we, we gloss over that very quickly what does that mean um, what you'll see in a lot of, in a lot of uh, public schools is uh, you'll have special education uh, or kids with special needs, and sometimes you'll have kids with special needs in the opposite direction. Um, uh, I won't use the filthy term I use, but I, there are two You can say it. It's okay because it's not on the real radio. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I call them um, what the fuck are you doing here's um, positives and what the fuck are you doing here negatives. And the what the fuck are you doing here positives are these kind of extraordinary beings that walk into a classroom and no teacher or parent could ever take credit for them. And the kid was simply born to Smart. be brilliant. Brilliant. Right. I mean, like, basically you realize that if you give them the right sunlight and the right soil, they are going to essentially figure out a way to get a parachute that lands on the moon after the rocket ship detaches and all that. How many of these in a classroom? 
Oh no, they're usually like one in a class. I mean, not just. But there's one every year. But like. there's usually one lurking out there, and then they're the what the fuck are you doing here negatives? The what the fuck are you doing here neutrons? Which are you know somebody grew this something really dark and and not very happy in a petri dish. I mean, you know, it's bad, but but they also are the kind of kids who are angry and raged, and you know they get into a classroom they can be very very destructive, and uh, so you know one of the things that interventionists do. You know, in a lot of ways, is find the truly special students and figure out ways to kind of challenge them and lift their game. And for the ones who are having difficulty, is to kind of intervene. And you'll see this. I mean, they have a thing called inclusion, where the students who are troubled or having problems are actually allowed to be in the classrooms, but they have an individual teacher or an interventionist or inclusionist who sits with them and kind of walks them through the process. And who's uh, paying for that? We all are. So that's part of the education system. That's part of the it's public school system. I never knew that. Or just in, in a lot, I know a lot of schools have it. The idea is because you know we think that this, you know the, the short bus, the uh, the trailer in the back, the special room, it stigmatizes <laughs> students. And right. uh, the problem you run into is when you have an inclusion of a student and they start doing one inclusionist for three or four students. Each one of those kids needs somebody individual if they're going to exist in a room of 20 and 30 people because what it allows is for the teacher to teach the other 19. The teacher isn't having to manage one disruptive student. And part of the game is figuring out whether a student is disruptive because they've been raised poorly, because they're engaged in a power play in the classroom, or because they have problems. ADHD, let's go with ADHD for a second. The student can't pay attention. They become aware of the fact that they're falling behind. They can't do anything to improve the fact that they're falling behind. They get angry. Their anger turns to depression. Now you've got depression layered on top of ADHD, and now they're angry at everybody in the classroom, particularly those who are doing well, and it begins to kind of accumulate. If you don't catch this stuff early enough, and then somebody steps in, and instead of you know helping them, they smack them full of um, Ritalin, right. Concerta, you know, and they don't address the core. They don't address the core problem. And the fact of the matter is, is that in a lot of behavioral things, you can actually manage it. They, they, there's a big kind of line that says you really shouldn't even give kids medication until they begin to really get to their teen years because you don't know what problem you're solving. The misdiagnosis of people who have been given depression medications who actually suffer from ADHD or something more solvable is kind of stunning because nobody catches it happening. Well, I also have a problem with just giving the medicine without addressing the other core problems of diet and environment. I mean, sugar, you know how much sugar we give our kids all day long? We're well, zapping them up on all kinds of stuff and then how, expect that, them to sit still. Well, that's still. exactly it. I mean, you know, the, the fact of the matter is, too, a lot of these kids will come home and they will, the parents will withhold the medication until they get home because the medication, if especially they have ADHD, the speed does curves their appetite. It, 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 it really kind of drives it down. The problem is rather than taking it in the morning when it should be taken, they go through a whole day disruptive, they come home disruptive, the parent gives them the medication at night, and the kid is then up all night and comes in with a sleeping disorder, and it just begins to mount and mount. Sounds and mount. like a mess. It wow, is a mess. this is totally fucked up. It is. So this is going on. Every, you're saying that the, you, one of the things you said was that it's overdiagnosed, right? That there's well, there's too no many blood tests for ADD. You know that. This is a questionnaire. This is um, parents and teachers suggesting that the child has problems and then they'll interview the child. But there's not some specific test we draw or do. Yeah, and, it, it, and it's not rigorous enough because it becomes a, it, it becomes almost like Soma, you know, in, you know, in Brave New World. Oh, well, here's yes. a pill, you know, yes. you know but somebody Somebody discovered ADHD and ADD just recently, I mean, in the last 20 years or something. Well, I have a theory, a really kind of screwed up theory. I think that the, um, that the inclusion of sugar into our diet and the decrease in smoking in the country have actually seen the rise of ADHD because if you think about Smoke it. Smoke more. 40 or 50 Fifty years ago, half the country was smoking. I, I, 
believe me, I'm not encouraging people to smoke. Don't get me wrong. E-cigarettes. Get them all e-cigarettes yeah. and patches. But, but, but I mean, you know what I'm talking about is the fact that we, we don't think about this, but 60 years ago, you go to like a Denny's and the whole place would be a smoke bomb. You know, you could go into offices or city hall and there'd be smoke everywhere. And the fact is, have you noticed that obesity and ADHD have had this amazing rise in the last 40 years? Yeah, but there's so many factors to that. Think about when a right. child is born, even just right when they're born, the lights, the stimulation, the white noise. I mean, things have changed tremendously. So it's hard. It's to pin it down to exactly. say just one thing. Oh, no, I know. But the other thing is, have you seen that the, um, the psych, what is the psychiatrist book called? The diagnostic book? What is the it? The DSM. The DSM. They had a large debate about removing narcissism from, um, from one of the conditions because we live in such a, you know, such a tweeting, Facebooking, Anthony Weiner, you know, Carlos right. Danger world. We all have to be regarded as narcissists. I mean, yeah. I mean, basically, if you look, if you look at the symptoms of narcissism, I mean, basically, you've described everybody, everybody. under 30, you know? I mean, <laughs> Well, Facebook is having some sort of incredibly bizarre effect on the society. I don't know if we even know what that is yet, but it's certainly this bizarre world that we're all creating about ourselves, which isn't our real life. Have you ever heard the, the Facebook term vague booking? Vague booking. Where, yeah. where you no. post something that's just really kind of suit borderline cryptic, and you'll say, like, having a small day, some people just don't care about me, and in the attempt to get, like, 80 people to press the right. like button and say, we love you, we yeah. care about you, uh, and it's in a lot of ways. Does it work? You should try it. But, you I mean, does it make you feel better if you do it? I mean, maybe that's... I don't do maybe that. Maybe it's therapeutic. But, it's I mean, you're talking about kids. It's probably just people playing games. It's not real. They're <laughs> yeah. just seeing what kind of effect it's Probably catfishing people, right. you know? Okay, so I don't know how we got onto this whole thing about ADHD. Sugar. Sugar. I don't know. We were talking about drinking. And okay, let's go back to drinking for a minute then. Okay, so... I, I and less drinking, too. People don't drink as much now. We don't, except in New not Orleans, in this of course. City. But yeah, in this no, I would not agree with that. Yeah. But I think the rise of ADHD might also be because people aren't just chilling out and having a cocktail at right. the end of the day, except in New Orleans. Yeah, they're chilling out and having a cocktail at the end of the day right now everywhere, yeah. actually, including us. Yeah. So, Mignon, I'm, I get off the streetcar. I go in there. I sign the consent form, and I say... I'm. I'm hungover as all hell. I feel like shit. I do anything. We we. What happens to me then? You're gonna see me and my staff. Or I have a nurses and and I'm the physician. We're gonna do a history and physical on you. We're gonna it'll oh be directed dear. to what. What do you we're mean by asking. physical? What does that mean? I'm gonna make sure they don't have any signs or symptoms that would preclude you from getting fluids. So make sure your lungs are clear. What are, what are the sure questions? I'm, I'm already disease. feeling sick and I've got a you terrible headache. I don't want to be having a consultation. We just make sure you don't have any abnormal labs. You have normal kidney function. You, How do you, you figure that out? You haven't had heart failure. You, you haven't had ask, a heart attack. This is a questionnaire? This is a questionnaire. You're not Could you fill it out for me? If, if I, I give you the answer? like Yes, yes I will no. fill it for you. We oh, have awesome. an electronic okay. medical record. It's a push button. It's very okay. easy. All right. But if you can't do it, we will do it for you. Can I be you. wearing sunglasses at this point? Most people keep them on until I have to <laughs> ask them to take them off to examine really? them. Really? That's interesting. Yeah. Okay. They, well, they have photophobia. Their head hurts. They don't want the light. Photophobia. That's a, That's a good name. Being bothered by the light. but they. Um, and then once you're screened and we make sure that you, you okay. know, there's no um, contraindications, then okay. we'll start an IV. Um, what does that mean? Now I have to sit down in a You have to sit down. You'll chair. find a comfortable chair. I have lounge yes. chairs, like chaises, and I have Where couch. am I? I'm in a doctor's office? or You're in my clinic, which is set up. I wish I could show you a picture. Well, you'll just have to come by. Yeah. Um, but I have, um, it's have a few couches. It's very okay. comfortable. Yeah, it's so almost like a spa. I have okay. a relaxing chaise where you can lay down. I have a massage chair. I have oh. um, two or three chairs and the couch. 
And are there other people in the room with me, other drunks? It just depends on when you come. Yeah, but I mean, it's not just yeah, not private not al- rooms. You're not alone. I do have some private, um, I've con- quadrant you off in my, I call them cabanas, but someone told me they look like a hospital bay. And <laughs> I said, okay. no, they're cabanas. So I can say <laughs> I don't want, beach. <laughs> so I can say I don't want anyone to see me in this condition. Because, right, you know, I'm very sensitive absolutely. about my parents. So if you don't want anybody to see you, we'll. So I can't have a private room. We'll block if I'm you off. famous or sensitive to be, you know. Yes, we can sneak like you crack. in the back. Yeah, yes. okay. Well, that's good to know. Okay. I'll hand you a bag in case you think you can't make it to the bathroom if you oh are dear. that sick. Mm-hmm. Oh. And then, no, not everyone gets a bag, <laughs> but if you need it. And then we'll start the IV. And I can tell you honestly that within 10 to 20 minutes, people are already telling me they feel better. They come in, and I've, I've described it this way numerous times. They look so disheveled. They come in almost closed in, and it's like a flowering. They open up. Their eyes get less they're less injected they're less red their hair somehow some of them they fix their hair again and yes that's the first thing that you do is your hair is just you can't even be bothered doing that okay it's amazing it's it's like those shows where the flower is you know you see it in fast forward fast speed i was just going to ask that do you have a camera on me at this point i I can have a video of myself you should if you agree to doing it i would love to see you that would would be a great thing to do you could do that i'm not thinking about me personally but i mean for the patient you know how you like you you do bungee jumping and they or skydiving and they do a video you can take the video home for 1995 or something i would love for someone to come in and offer to let me do that to show how amazing the um recovery is it's beautiful so then they walk out and, and a lot of times they'll shake my hand and say hey it's nice to meet you because they felt so horrible and couldn't really talk but just their <laughs> movements they were real quiet and right. then they, they start talking the eyes brighten up i've had people tell me oh my gosh i can see now i can see all across the room now i couldn't see before and do you <laughs> uh do you have like a hamburger in there or anything i don't have a hamburger but i have <laughs> drinks and i, I encourage yeah. them to drink liquids while they're right. getting the iv as well so when you say iv i, I mean isn't a hamburger the best after a hangover? that's what i mean i feel like it's you like need the a best. hamburger it is the Fall. best they have all kinds of regimens out there that they say this is the best this is the best salty food i think is definitely a winner you want to try to hydrate a greasy as hamburger seems to be the, the greasy that's been the ham- that's been the hangover cure. That and or carrot juice, by the way. Why is does carrot juice work? I think anything you can tolerate in stomach. The mouth is always best, so I'm not trying to say that our way is the only way, but by hydrating both ways, you're going to get the most rapid response. So how long does the whole thing take before I walk out of there and I'm like, thank you, I can't believe it. 45 minutes to an hour. If you need a second liter of fluids, if that's you're it. really dehydrated, 45 minutes to an hour. And so average, it's 45 minutes an hour. Who ha- is, you've had people come in and get an hour and a half treatment? I've, well, they've had to have a second Keith bag. Richard. They were vomiting, and they had to have oh, another bag. The pros from yes. Dover. My so, God. So, so usually most people will only stay for about an hour. Most people's attention span back to that ADD is what? really... What were we talking about? What, are we, what am I doing? I'm just sitting there. So the first Remind 20, me. The first 20 minutes I'm sitting there, I'm just like... Thank God I don't feel I'm not going to die. Well, yeah. And then what do I do? Then I have to the sit medicine. Then you're sitting there and then you're feeling better. And now I you're talking to me and now you're chatting with my staff and the people. Oh, around okay. Um, we've had and it's not just for drinking. Right. So that's what the big point that it's I want. It's not just for drinking. It's not just for drinking. It's okay. for rehydrating post flu. You it's know, like I had beer. It's not just for breakfast anymore. <laughs> you know? I had a lot of GI illness that was passing around the city where uh-huh. the people needed to replenish their fluids. And I was chasing tails. Um, people who have um, chronic illnesses, chronic fatigue, they come and get IVs. 
mm-hmm. people with sinus infections. So it's not just for alcohol. And right. that's the but big the point that I want to make. The phone number is like 855 hangover. So I'm glad you said that because Wait. it can be considered no hangover or New Orleans hangover. Oh, it's 855 no N-L. hangover. Mm-hmm. No, no hangover. hangover. And oh. so why did I do that? It's catchy. It caught your eye and you I remembered, remembered it. it. <laughs> yeah, 855. Is it 855? It's 855. 855 no hangover. And I don't even have notes in front of me, do I? So Jim, you can attest to that. 855 no hangover. 855 no hangover. Do I need an appointment? Because I'm not going to be able to make an appointment. No, I'm you just going to walk just Yeah, it would be kind of defeat the purpose. Yeah. Wouldn't it? Unless, <laughs> of course, you're calling at 6 o'clock in the evening the day before. Well, you I'm know, come see you it pretty much know tomorrow. if you're going out some <laughs> nights. You know, no, this is tomorrow's going to be a bad. No, I have had people call me. I have had people know that, hey, we're coming into town and we know we're going to. We've had bachelor <laughs> parties and people like. Mm. That's a great idea for a bachelor party. You can pre-organize well, it so you great. pick everybody up in the morning. Er- and everybody passes out at the hotel room. They all wake up together. They go to the clinic. They get their they get their treatment. Has anyone done that? Oh, yeah. We've had it a few times. And, you know, everybody doesn't participate. Take. You know, some <laughs> they, they reserve a certain amount and then some of them show and some of them don't. So birthday parties. Wow. So how, what made you think of this other than you come from a background of alternative medicines, obviously? Well, we've been doing the IVs in our office for quite a long time. Right. And we still do. And it's part of it's probably the, the neatest part of our office. And it's just my whole life. That's always been whenever anybody was sick in our family, you, you get an IV, you need IV vitamin C. So, um, you know, post-Katrina, I was chatting with my brother saying, hey, we need to go really help these students. I don't know what brought it up one day. I said, we need to go park right by the boot (laughs) and rehydrate (laughs) these kids. They need us the most. And then it progressed um, and just came about last summer. I decided I was going to do it. And it it took me a little while to get open, but here we are. Have we got a note that says your husband needs the car keys? I know, he's taking Whose husband are we talking about? Your husband. husband. Is he here? Doug Hamill. Mm Mm-hmm. He's beautiful. He's outside. He's Doug's outside. And the keys are in my purse right there. In that black purse. He can just take the I don't think we've... Thank you. Elizabeth, that was very kind of you. Take the whole purse and he'll be able to open it. That felt very professional too. I saw the door flush. I'm like, that's terrific. That's like the best way it was handled. Very nice. Yeah, we're not that organized. That's that's (laughs) Elizabeth who's our director of messaging. And now you've got a message That's as well, Jim. Okay, this is great. This is like a real radio. Well, we all have assistants yeah. and you know, pros from what, Dover. What's huh? your message? Uh, uh, I wanted to know if I wanted to bring the, uh, the work that we're doing out in New Orleans East to bring some of the uh, paperwork out to the houses to go see if we can get started on them. I think wow. we're going to be okay. I think we're going to be okay. The show's actually progressing rather nicely, and we'll make it in time, <laughs> I think. Can you grab the jug of water over there? A pitcher of water. Hey, um, okay, so how much is it going to cost me to get rid of my hangover? Is it expensive? It's but not that it matters because anyone would pay anything. Basically. Well, the, the people who come in hungover, they would pay anything, but it's $120 <laughs> to $150. That's it, 120 bucks, and I'm better. Yeah. And well, you think how much you spent on booze to feel that crappy. Mm-hmm. It's probably not that big of an investment. That's no, it's Doug. Not. Doug's got it so. together. Doug's back. He's here. Okay. Hey, Doug. Thank you, babe. How yeah. many kids have you got? Three girls. Three girls? How, how, old, old, how old are they? I know. Three phenomenal just started school she wants to go to school and i have an eight-year-old who's playing soccer that's why he needed the okay. ball and i have an 11 year old and they're all doing after school sports and fun wow. they're having a good time and i'm excited for school to be started for them to be with their friends and yeah we had a good summer but it's always nice to be and doug's on the case you can have him run around while you're hanging he's out in a bar having a drink <laughs> that's he's a, a he's a good husband what does doug do is he a doctor as well he's a lawyer he's a lawyer and how'd you meet oh my gosh we met, he drove some friends from American University. He had a functioning car. And a very good friend of ours was getting, of mine, was getting married. And um, another girlfriend 
who we grew up with was at American University, and so that's in D.C. D.C. They played soccer together, and he um, drove them to New Orleans, and he came to the wedding, and I met him there. You met at a wedding. That's romantic. Yeah, and then um, he has a long, beautiful story about it. But he stole me away. I was engaged to someone else. Wow. Yeah. How long y'all been married? Oh gosh, 1999. We partied like it was 1999. Wow. <laughs> so how long had you been engaged to the other person? Um, little under a year. I mean, I dated him all through college. Wow. D- we liked each other always, and you know, Doug was dating people. I was dating still the same guy. And then when I went to med school at LSU, our two gr- the two friends who we drove down were getting married here in New Orleans, and he called me in regards to the bachelor party. Hey, where am I going to take these people? You're the local. And he said he knew he had a chance with me because not once did I mention that I was engaged. <laughs> so were, were you wearing an engagement ring? I was. and, and uh, That didn't deter him at all? Though. No. No. Well, he was in Pittsburgh <laughs> at the time. He wasn't okay. living here. And so he was planning this bachelor party from afar. Called me. And then okay. we kind of struck up the conversation again. He wrote me a letter in between during college. And he likes to tell the story about how I told him, hey, you can't write me like that. We're supposed to be friends. And I brushed him off. You know, that probably made him want me more because I said no. <laughs> and had you think? Do you think that the the guy that you were going to be married to, did he feel like he got a, like he escaped as well? That you were just you were kids and you were doing the wrong thing? No, no. I mean, we was he kids. heartbroken? He was. I think he was upset. Yeah, he came from a small town. We weren't. I don't know that we were ever really perfectly matched. I just, you know, I was apparently taking, not. I was moving through I the motions hope. of okay, the next step is the next step, and I was in med school and. It just was the easier thing to do. It's and so weird, though. You put the brakes on it. So many people don't do that. So many people do what they think they're supposed to do and end up at a point in their life going, I did the things I'm supposed to do, and now here I am where I don't want to be. You know? Well, I've, I'm so grateful. There are a lot of days where I'm so grateful that Doug, you know, that it came to fruition because we both really liked each other from afar and I just never thought it would happen living in New Orleans and of course everybody left after Katrina and you've had your experience of leaving but I never thought I would leave New Orleans and he's from Pittsburgh so I mean I would even joke about it with the original guy and he'd say well who would you date and I'd say Doug and he'd laugh he'd say yeah go ahead that's never gonna happen wow this is why you were engaged to him and it did you, you mean when you were engaged, you would have some sort of a game? Like if you weren't no, engaged not while to me? I we were engaged, but I would say, you know, I think I'm, I, I think I'm ready to have a break, and I think I want to date other people. And Doug's name came up, and he, oh, he, he laughed it off. I mean, we, we originally always liked each other. We just never connected, and thank God we didn't connect in college because maybe it didn't, it wouldn't have worked like this. But he's a phenomenal husband, best story father. Ever. <laughs> it's the best story ever. But he stole me away and at the wedding. And that's a professional playwright. <laughs> that's a great story. That's a, yeah. Can you yeah. use that into something? Oh, it's going to show up. It'll, it'll <laughs> turn up someplace. It'll turn up someplace. Are you single or married? Uh, I am seeing people. Seeing people? Yes, I see people. <laughs> in, that, in the sort of normal sense, not in the delusional no, sense. No, not in the delusional sense. You you know, know, I, see de- I, I see dead you see, people. You see real people. You know, I don't see Bruce Willis. He's so not my therapist. you're dating is what we I'm used dating. to call that. I'm dating, yeah. I am dating, and I enjoy it. It's fun. Have you yeah. been married before? No, I have not. I came real close, but Katrina stopped that from happening. We actually had the opera guild was going to be where our reception was going to be. We had the church hall reserved. Everything was lined up and good to go, and... This little event happened today, eight years ago, and uh, changes it all. Things just kind of begun to. It's really funny because it was you know we spent the first two weeks in in Austin, Texas, and this is a kind of a strange story because I remember the the morning this morning, 
uh, eight years ago, I was packing up the car to actually go back in. I was like, screw it. I want to get back to the city as quick as I possibly can. And my On friend, the day of the hurricane? Well, no, you were going to drive the, into the yeah, city? Yeah, I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm done. This is, the, this is the day the levees broke. The day that the levees broke. That's a Tuesday. Yeah, yeah that Tuesday. And I was packing up my car to go drive back in after everything had seemingly cleared. Right. And my friend, she said, the 17th Street Canal just broke. What does that mean? Because she, she was from Austin. She had moved there and only lived there for three years. You know, like everybody else who moves down here, they live in that sliver by the river mm-hmm. and don't really know the entire New Orleans. So the 17th Street Canal broke. What does that mean? I said, no, no, no. The canal out in the east broke. I said, it's fine. She said, no, the 17th Street Canal broke. What does that mean? I looked at the TV and I went, mm-hmm. it means we're, we're never going back. I said, we're not going to go back for a couple of months now. That's the ball game. And being forced to live with that person in a very, not, not my friend from Austin, but my, my fiance and I, and she's a great person and we're still really close friends. Um, matter of fact, I think I probably got a phone call from her today because of the anniversary of all of this. Um, we just realized that in that kind of intense situation that we probably shouldn't be married. And it was not anything, no animus, no bad feeling. It just was like, you know, we got a real chance to see what this would have been like, you mm-hmm. know. And without well, That's a gift, actually. Oh, and that's why we're to go through years of, you yeah. know, getting to hate each other. And what do you think that you had seen in each other that, in that that you hadn't seen before? What, what is the secret? I think the fact is I, I couldn't wait to get back in a car no matter how bad the city was. I couldn't wait to go back down to the city. I also, you know, I, I was still on salary. I was still working at Tulane, and um, I was on salary there. Plus, I had the FEMA money, and I realized, oh, my God, I can go anywhere and do anything. I mean, I was devastated because I grew up in Lakeview, and, you know, 60 families that I'm directly related to, first cousin or higher, lost everything. So it was unbelievable. It's the biggest thing that ever happened to us. But suddenly I was able to kind of go around the country and meet people and, you know, and I got to tell you, I learned two things in the aftermath of Katrina. The first of which is the government of the United States was terrible and the people of the United States were terrific. I mean, I've never been treated. I mean, I would walk into place. I went to Boston to go see a friend of mine's show and um, couldn't get a hotel room, just couldn't get one. And I said, yeah, I just drove in. He said, we just asked us, where are you from? I said, well, I'm from New Orleans. He said, we have a hotel room. And turned around and got one on the spot. I mean, I just found that people were so incredibly generous. Um, Like when we were in New York, they, um, you know, there was a sale. We needed, I needed to get new clothes. And we got 40% off plus the employee discount at like half the stores we went to. And it was just the generosity of people was Mm. unbelievable in the aftermath of that. It was. But what did you, what did you find out about each other, you and your fiance, that, that short, she short cut the whole thing. What was the quality in each other that you both said, Jesus Christ, I'm, I made a huge mistake. Well, like I said, I, I wanted to go racing all over the place. And, and what did she want to do? And she wanted to go back to Ohio and go spend some time with her family and kind of hunker in. And it traumatized her. And I understand. I mean, like I said, I wasn't angry at her. It wasn't a matter of like, you know, how dare you? But she just wanted to go back to Ohio and just kind of hunker in and kind of, you know, recoup and recover where I was like, how, you know. This is an opportunity to, to go for yeah, it. Where's the adventure? You know, let's go have an right. adventure together. And, and, and like I said, she wasn't a person opposed to adventure, but I think in that moment she was, and I think we just learned something in that time. Mm. And you know, well, I think it exposed a lot, and uh, relationships fell apart, and relationships were strengthened. That definitely helped yeah. forge our marriage into a different. It did. <laughs> it helped. Section. Yeah. So I mean, it was a tough road, but you see how people respond and react under high, high stress. I can't say I did a great job, but. <laughs> You know, I don't think anybody did a great. I think there are people who rose to the occasion, but I also think that the p- some of the people who rose to the occasion weren't very good people before that occasion came. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, it's just, it, it is what it is. And the thing is, the next event, you react differently, too, you know. I will say I was disappointed by the leadership. But m- you were saying the people of you know, the government 
it's funny the facade of what politicians and people who we hired, you know, are we elected to do a job when there really aren't true leaders out there. There are very few. Well, we leaders. found that out. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, well, the other thing is too is like you know when you go around preaching about how you know you can't you, you can't offer yourself as evidence of your political theory. You can't say that government doesn't work and then prove it. I mean, in a lot of <laughs> ways, that's what happened that day. I mean, you know, it's like basically we were this was these were people who didn't believe in government. I remember Bill Crystal, the conservative columnist, said that he said that he thought Clinton, Clinton would have handled this better. And not, not because Clinton's a better person or, than Bush or anything, but the, the implication was he understood and liked government enough to actually figure out ways to how do you get 12 trucks of water from Walmart past the Blackwater guys and into the city. You know, that, you know when, when, when Air Canada arrives on the tarmac to help people, don't turn them away. Just figure out a way to make it work. You know? And it wasn't until the 101st arrived at the airport that any semblance of sanity was restored in the city. It was crazy. Well, now that we've moved past that and we're eight years away from it, and hopefully we'll never have to talk about it again. But although that, doesn't, that day doesn't seem to ever arrive, that you can never st- ever stop I, talking about it. I think it's it. like the World War for those mm-hmm. people who live well, here. Well, it was. Home. It was a traumatic experience. I, when we were, we, we evacuated to Doug's family's house in Florida, and I had a family, and they would call my children Katrina children and things like that, and I would take great offense. What part of Florida is Doug from? He's not. He's from Pittsburgh, but his parents had an empty house, and we were like, I say this all the time, but like the modern-day grapes of wrath. I had my grandmother who was in close to her 90s, two dogs, a nephew. I mean, we were a mess two babies but you were in somewhere cold in florida on the beach so we were we went to the we went to the beach after multiple stops the opposite of the dust bowl (laughs) no we went baton rouge then we went to texas i mean we migrated and then we got we got there and i just now i lost my train of thought about what i was gonna say but it was in regards to the storm of and the house and the house down in florida in the the dust bowl and my jode and I don't know. I'll think of it. So what I was going to say was now we've moved past it. Now we're into a different New Orleans where a lot of things are different, including we're now some sort of um, a social experiment for the Newhouse Newspaper Corporation where they've decided they're going to try and figure out what it's going to be like if we only publish a paper three days a week and then the other four days a week we're going to have a paper that's available to the people on the street but not to our subscribers. So this is what your play is about. It, I assume. What they've done, well, actually, what we're looking at is a fictional paper. It's only called The Paper, and it's set in the city of New Orleans, that finds out in the middle of this play that they're going from four, seven days a week to four days a week. It's an ensemble piece. There's a theater company in town called The Nola Project. And when they made the announcement about the change, um, A.J. Allegra, who's the artistic director, called me and said, I really want to write a play about the paper. Let, let's, let's do it now. Let's figure out a way to make this happen. So this is now. a commission? You got a commission? It was a commission to write a play about the paper. And most of my plays are about New Orleans politics. And there's a lot of that in this, too, because, after all, it's a newsroom, and it's full of editorialists and metro desk reporters and city hall reporters and beat reporters and you know, an efficiency experts. It's this kind of sprawling look of, it's 14 characters over two hours. It's the most characters I've ever put in a play. And it's like writing a piece of jazz because what you have to do is make sure that everybody in the piece gets a little solo in the overall fabric of the piece. Most of their company is young. When I say young, I mean late 20s, early 30s. And so I told him, I said, you can have nine of your company members in it, but I said, I've got to go out and get people who are older because if I have just 14 30-year-olds, it's a dot-com bust, and who cares? I mean, you know, who right. cares about a startup down the drain? I said, so I need 
editors, I need uh, retiring reporters, I need, you know, those kind of characters that mm -hmm. kind of populate this world. And the thing is about it is that the big argument in the play isn't about whether or not we should be slaughtering trees, you know, every day and throwing them on people's doorsteps. The, the real sin of the action was, first of all, how it was handled. It was an abuse of the public trust. And more importantly, it was the laying off of all those staff members. It wasn't like they were looking to solve the problem. How do we cut back on the paper while maintaining the kind of staff? that you need to kind of actually investigate a city, because after all, what a newspaper is, is the narrative of a city. It's how, you, how a city break, breathes and lives, and it's the stories, like, like any good community theater with a capital C, it's the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves. And what Arthur Miller once said is that a newspaper is a community in conversation with itself. Okay, so how does this play, how is it, are you playing out the, the life of the people in the paper, or are you talking about the city and what's gonna happen to the city, or? Yes. Okay. Yeah. It's so, a, what's going to happen to us? Then? Well, the thing is, I, I got to tell you, I'm a New Orleanian, uh, you know, and the people who like, you know, the, the people who've been here for 20 years who are complaining about how it's being gentrified. Let me tell you something. I grew up here in the 70s when, and after like the late 70s and early 80s, when things began to really go wrong towards the late 80s, and we had police problems and corruption, and everybody seemed to be running across to the North Shore, and everybody was running out to Jefferson Parish, and you know, I, I call it preservation by neglect is the joke I always make about New Orleans' architecture, that it only has preserved because nobody was there to kind of tear it down. <laughs> um, which is great, which yeah. is really terrific, actually, which means that they have to come in here and then fix stuff up. But, I mean, I, the city is breathing and living and loving better than it's lived in, like, 30 years. I mean, I, you know, you... You know, the idea that, you know, there are two grocery stores on Carrollton Avenue. I tell people, I don't mind that Panera Bread is on Carrollton Avenue. Now, if they come for Bricados and Venetias to build something else there, then we should be angry. But, I mean, the idea that more jobs and more business and the fact that I can drive down Esplanade and not hit six potholes, the idea that, this, you know, the city doesn't say dip next 40 miles, <laughs> you know, is, is a really terrific thing. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm very hopeful about the city, and I think that there's some people, like the Newhouse organization, that panicked rather than seeing the possibilities for change there. Um, nothing wrong with telling people what they want before it's the moment they want it. I mean, we wouldn't have the iPod if that wasn't the case, but it just felt like the whole thing was an insult to the community and a panic button over a profit-generating engine rather than a carefully considered new model for how we're gonna tell the news. Do you, um, do you have the advocate in your play? No, we never get to that point because it remember, the, the play takes place, the, the first act, and it takes place over literally two hours. The, the, the thing I was saying earlier to somebody today is, look, you have, 14, you have 14 characters, which right there and then violates a big, big playwriting rule. And so What's the, the rule? You really shouldn't have more than seven or eight if you want to get produced anywhere else because of the cost. It's too expensive it's to too hire expensive all these actors. And all that. No, Unless you have Mark Rylance in the National Theater, you know, you know, cranking up the engine for you. It's very, very difficult. So you want to make a point of holding to all the other unities, which means it takes place over, you know, a two-hour period, no costume changes. The set is the newsroom. We never change there. All it's like, you know, don't make a left an illegal left turn when your license is expired. Don't break two <laughs> laws at the same time. And so, you know, the idea is we're, we're giving people a view of the city. I mean, you have a society columnist. You have people that cover City Hall, people that cover human interest. One of the main characters is a food critic who's very, very popular and well-liked. So this um, is all based on people we, it's, we read. I guess the best way to kind of describe it is the same way that Joe Klein handled primary colors and the way that um, Frank O'Hara um, um, handled the last hurrah, where you can recognize people in it, but at the same time, it's not them, or there right. are elements of two people kind of lurking right. in there. 
But but it's a comment, obviously, on where we are. And so who's the bad guy? Newhouse, the newspaper. Well, that's company. what's interesting, too, because one of the jokes we made is that we wanted an American in emotion in British in, in politics. Because with a lot of the British playwrights of the last 20, 30 years, what you've seen is they give both sides of the story. It doesn't mean you're fair and balanced. It doesn't mean that you say that both sides have equal weight. But you allow those who you might disagree with to have the full range of their view. Well, that's what a case. good drama is, though, isn't yeah, it? Exactly. Where you have both sides, where you can sympathize with both and there's an good and bad. There's and an efficiency expert in the play, and her, you know, her name is Aiden, and she kind of comes off as the villain at first, and then finally one of the characters confronts her, and he said, you like those people up in the state capitol who only care about the bottom line, and she pivots, and she said, it's the only line that matters. She said, "Either she said, this is not a public trust. It's a business. And either you have a good business model or a bad business model. If you have a bad business model, you're going out of business. And there's something to be said for that, too. I mean, the idea that their numbers right. were shrinking. Well, you know? but, but that's, just, that's the thing about New Orleans is you remember K&B, the drugstore? Yes. Yeah. It was Ain't a there no more. It was a pretty crappy, dirty drugstore, the one near my house anyway. You was. It was, you know, it wasn't all that great. As soon as they said they were going to sell it, they weren't even going... McKenzie's is the same thing. McKenzie's Donuts, another one, where they basically, it's like they had like two good donuts and the rest you felt like you were going to get mugged. Well, they had king cake. They had king cake. Well, they had the brioche. They had the brioche king cake and they had the um, the buttermilk cake donuts. But you know what? The Tasties picked up that that recipe. That's right. Yeah, but it doesn't taste the same. No, the buttermilk cake donuts on North Broad and Esplanade, I'm actually giving somebody a picture, I can't believe it, are the, they're like food (laughs) crack. What, the one, the guy... The guy who's got that little place called the Buttermilk Drop itself? No, no, no. It's the, it's the, the Tasty, tasty donuts, donuts on, on North Broad, Broad and, and opposite the Speedy Oil Chain. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's right down the block from McCarty's. We, we call go. it. We call okay. it. Okay. Ask for a buttermilk cake donut and make sure they're fresh. The two ladies behind make the counter. Make sure they're fresh. How would you do that? Well, just to make Who's sure. Who's going to tell you the truth? Yeah. Well, I mean, you'll fresh. feel it. You'll feel you can right feel the donut. Okay, so that's that's also, but that's what I was saying about Those donuts are in the play, by the way. We actually the tasty donuts. You actually, but, it's blue, but actually, Blue Dot's one of our sponsors, so there's a whole box of donuts that gets passed around in the second act of the play, and it's basically that they, we called them and they said, you know, yeah, we'd love to give you some donuts. They're so. awesome. I'm psyched. They're coming closer they're to They're going to be on Chapatula Street. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, um, have you been to the Buttermilk Drop, which is down on, that's. Yeah. That that those buttermilk drops are just as good as McKenzie's. But that was the same thing. K- K&B was just this pretty second-rate drugstore. As soon as it was going to close down and become a, ch- a chain, I know. everybody's buying the T-shirt. and out, yeah. yeah, everyone's so you know, well, sentimental. I, yeah, and I understand. It was our own thing. It was our thing. All these other things were big chains. K&B well, was the pretty Speck cool. Well, is the same thing, yeah. though. It wasn't a very great newspaper. There were some good writers on it, I have to say, and they have done some great stuff. But there's a big monologue about just what you're talking about, where he actually. I could. Is atta- it, have you cast this? Could I do it? Oh no, he, it's all done. Oh, there. Damn, but he basically he this. tears. I yeah. mean, there's an editorialist who just tears the entire paper to shreds. He said, "We have walked a fine tisk tisk line of plague on both your houses." He said, "We have tried." To basically not take a side on almost everything or present both sides of the argument. And in doing so, we've made no one happy. Mm-hmm. And when the corporate interest came for us, it made it very easy to get rid of us. Because in the end of the day, I mean, nobody really loved the Picayune and nobody really... Until it went hit, away. Now, hit, oh, oh, yeah. Now, now we're like, all like, you know, oh, my God, what about the newspaper? You know, And now the advocate is going to kick its ass and put it out of business, I would think. Oh, I think they're both going to... And we, uh, we, have a, uh, we have a genuine... Oh, only New Orleans. It, it's so funny. We zig when the rest of the country zigs. When the rest of the country is electing Republicans, we're electing Democrats and vice versa. And, of course, newspapers are shutting down and we're the only city in America that's a newspaper war Making going more, on. Yeah, know, yeah we have two newspapers. two newspapers. We had yeah. one three-day-a-week newspaper. And now, now we got we've got two, two of them. dailies. You know, yeah. I mean, it's crazy. That's awesome. It's but crazy. what do you think is going to happen, Mignon? You're a New Orleanian. You've been here your With whole life. Yeah. Well, who's going to win? Mm. 
I don't know. I'm, I have a little animosity against Times Picayune. I see them playing catch up. Oh, whoops, yeah. we made a mistake. Now we're going to put some back in the middle. Yeah. Of the well, they won't even apologize. Well, that's the yeah. I, remember, I remember like New Coke said, yeah, we yeah. screwed that one up. Yeah. Okay, here's the yeah. old Coke. Yay. Well, maybe like, your play or some of these comments can help them. Well, they broke the trust. I mean, Yikes. that's you know. exactly the, the thing is, that's one of the responses to the efficiency expert. One of the, the Metro desk editors said he goes, the public trust is a terrific model. As long as you don't abuse the public trust. Yeah. Well, that's what's happened, hasn't it? I mean, that we were. All, I mean, we all read the newspaper every day. Hey, listen, Mignon, I want to ask you something. About, um, sure. I look. I looked on your website, and it said, it said two things that I thought were interesting. One is that um, that you're going to have a mobile. A mobile like clinic. A mobile clinic, which I thought, what a great idea! You yeah. could park it right outside. We hope you to park know, it at the Bryan's end of events. Yes, I think the clinic. Be downtown probably more than uptown, and we'll hope we'll hope to be behind some running events but and are you some gonna sports events. Are you going to do that? You're going to have like a bus or like a tour bus or something? Yes, it's an old Ashner bus that we've oh, you've taken got the apart. bus already. Mm-hmm. We have it. We're working on it, so it's taking longer than I want. But we've got yeah, we have to. We have I, I got to take well, off. Okay, Let's we've got to wind up on this in one second. We're just going to get out here right now. So just let me finish up with Minion. What time? Yeah, we have to go anyway. So Minion, there's going to be a mobile clinic for yes. sure that's coming. Yeah, and. And it also says that you're available for private parties. The bus will be available <laughs> for like, <laughs> if you want to reserve right, this bus, up. you could yeah. maybe hold it, hold it down so I don't take it out on location. Really? Sure. So I, I can have a party and I can, I can book the, the hangover well, you bus. You could book the bus the next day, just like we talked about with the other clinic where you would have Unbelievable. Yeah, whether I tell you, you, are going to be, you could <laughs> become the mayor of New Orleans or at least a saint for sure. I hope that we can help saint a lot Mignon. of people. Yeah. You're, I'm sure you're going to... This is a huge idea. It's I'm a so lot of fun, I can tell you. Just before we go, just tell me one thing. Is anyone else doing this anywhere in the country? Have you mm. pioneered this? No, I haven't pioneered it. There's been plenty of doctors doing it in their offices for a long time. Yeah, but as an actual As an business. actual business focused stro- solely on hangovers, it's of course placed in Vegas. And in the past year, they've opened up in number, almost every major city. Miami, Atlanta, Chicago. And, and what, are they, what are they calling them? Do they have a cool name like yours? The Remedy Room is a great name. Oh, you want me to give the competitors names? Okay. Well, we're not we're not going to go to Miami and not, you know. Okay, there's um, revive, revive me. There's a hangover heaven. <laughs> hangover heaven. Uh-huh. That's stupid. There's. Um, <laughs> I like the remedy room better. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. hangover heaven sounds like a place where you you know you everyone's to, happy to have a and hangover. you go to luxuriate in your hangover. Yeah. Oh, What's the that's point of that? Crazy. What else? The one in Chicago. There's um. So my clinic, the ours are flipped because. We're for when you're feeling upside down, we're going to get you feeling right side up. Ah, nice. That's and the remedy room is the R&R. Yeah. And you can down. come get your R&R. All those good That's things. That's cool. Yeah. Well, congratulations. That's a great idea. Jim, congratulations with you. Finishing a play must be a quite a great feeling in itself. Oh, and getting it staged. And this is a commission. So it's been even great. Even better. Where is it on at? It's at, at the when? NIMS Theater on the UNO campus. And it runs from next Wednesday for the next Give three us the weeks. date because people listen to this for years. September September the 4th through September the 21st at the on the UNO campus. Okay. And we can find it. We'll have a link on, on this. On, no, on, yeah, on NOLAproject.com. Okay. I remembered what I was going to say. Yes. When I've lost my train of thought. Thank goodness. Someone asked us on the playground, well, when are these people ever going to get over Katrina? And I said, why don't you ask the people from the World War if they've gotten over it yet? Not. It's isn't that funny because there's a line in one of the plays I wrote a couple of years ago where, where one of the characters says there are just some things you don't get over. No, part of you our just fabric. Gotta, you got to get through. You so. just got to get through. Thank goodness a hangover isn't one of them no. anymore. 
Yeah. Thank you so much for joining <laughs> me, you guys. Really My nice guests on Happy Hour today have been Dr. Mignon Mary and Dr. Jim Fitzmaurice, the only show we've ever had two doctors. Thank you, sir. Our show was produced today by Graham DuPonte, our associate producer and technical director. is Chris Kehoe, Christian Onerell is our music director. He's got a lot to answer to. Dr. Cliff Brigden is our web designer and link to the real world. And our theme music was written and is being played currently by Mitch Foreman. The fabulous audio quality of this show is brought to you in part by PreSonus Audio Electronics. PreSonus makes some of the best audio recording and live sound products around, including Studio One music production software, Studio Live digital mixing consoles, Era Studio monitors, and much more. You can visit PreSonus.com. For more information about that, if you'd like to be on our show and you can stay upright for about an hour and have a vaguely intelligent conversation, drop us a line. Our address is on our website, where you can also check out other shows, including many more happy hours, Out to Lunch with Peter Raschuti from Commander's Palace, Mindset with psychiatrist Dr. Nick Pajic, True to the Game with the fabulous Chris True and Tammy Nelson, Vietnam, our show about the New Orleans Vietnamese community, and Midnight Menu Plus One with Margot Moss and the man who ate New Orleans, Ray Canada, keep up with us on Facebook, Twitter, and a bunch of other time-sucking social media. On all of it, we're called It's New Orleans. If you're listening to this show on iTunes or Stitcher or other podcasts, thank you for subscribing to us. Maybe you can rate and review us. That helps other people find us as well. Our show is recorded live today at Casa Borrega on Aretha Castle Haley Boulevard. Casa Borrega is a bar, a live music venue, and a restaurant with awesome food. Check it out. It's down here on Aretha Castle Haley right at Felicity. Happy Hours, a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworms.com. Andrew Duhon is back next week. Till then, I'm Grant Morris. Thanks for joining me. See you next time on Happy Hour. Thank you.